Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about wretched reunions and gruesome games. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, sitting in tonight for my very good friend, Steve Tabor, and I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Warren Benedetto and Christopher Zaleski are voice talents Rissa Montanez, Nick Goroff, and Jeff Sturdivant. Now get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is written by Warren Benedetto and is performed by Rissa Montanez and Nick Goroff. In it, we'll meet Bonnie, a woman going back home after several estranged years. Now, without further ado, I present to you Mole Hill. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. That's what my dad used to tell me when I was a kid. I never really understood the metaphor back then. I mean, I knew what he was getting at. He thought I was overreacting. The crying, the shouting, the self-harm. All of those were mountains, as far as he was concerned. The molehills? Mm. I don't talk about the molehills. For a long time, though, I didn't even know what a molehill was. It stood to reason that a molehill was smaller than a mountain. Otherwise, the saying wouldn't have made any sense. 
but I had only ever heard the word used in that phrase, never in any other type of conversation. I had no context for it, no frame of reference. I wasn't even sure if that was the word my dad was saying. I thought maybe it was like a misheard song lyric, like when people hear Jimi Hendrix say, excuse me while I kiss this guy, instead of, excuse me while I kiss the sky. One night when I was eight years old, I asked my half-sister Delilah what a molehill was. She was three years older than me, so I figured she might know. She stopped dabbing the blood from my lip and gave me a puzzled look. They're everywhere, stupid. Everywhere? Where? She rolled her eyes and sighed like the answer was the most obvious thing in the world. Everywhere, everywhere. In the yard, behind the house, in the woods, everywhere. I peered out the window at the ground outside our trailer home. It was rippled with small mounds of dirt, ranging in size from half a grapefruit to half a basketball. I had seen them my whole life, but I had no idea what they were. Those out there? Yep. She balled up the bloody tissue and tossed it into the trash can beside the bed, then licked her thumb and wiped a smear of dried blood from my chin. Why are they called molehills? Seriously? Delilah asked. I nodded. She looked me in the eyes her tone like that of a teacher explaining basic facts to a particularly thick-headed student. Because they're hills, made by moles. I didn't know what a mole was either. Delilah explained that it was like a rat, but instead of living in our trash, it lived underground, digging tunnels and occasionally popping up through the ground to breathe. I don't know if that last part was true, but it made sense to me at the time. I found the whole concept of moles fascinating. What do they eat? I asked. Delilah shrugged. I don't know. Dirt, I guess. As I got older, the molehills got bigger. The mountains got bigger, too. The crying turned to drinking. The self-harm into self-destruction. I realized that if I didn't get away from my father, I wasn't going to make it through high school alive. Either my dad was going to kill me, or I was going to kill him. Or both. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I ran away. I got sober, I got a GED, I got a job, and eventually I got better. So much better, in fact, that I never thought about my dad anymore. I never thought about the mountains or the molehills <sighs> until today. Today, Delilah called. We had kept in touch here and there over the years, but it had been at least a decade since we last spoke. She told me she was moving to Alabama with her new boyfriend and that someone needed to assume responsibility for our father's care once she was gone. The old man required a pharmacy's worth of meds multiple times a day. He couldn't be trusted to figure out which meds to take when, and the wrong combination at the wrong times could kill him. So, it fell upon my shoulders to help. At first I said, hell no. I couldn't imagine returning to that place after so many years. 
but Delilah persisted, and eventually, I gave in. I felt some perverse sense of responsibility that I couldn't explain. The man was my father, after all. He was aging, decrepit, senile, a pathetic shell of his former self. He wasn't the same man he was when I ran away. That's what Delilah told me anyway. And, like an idiot, I believed her. Delilah met me outside our father's trailer just before nightfall, her dented pickup truck creaking to a stop beside my old Toyota Corolla. I had been parked in the gravel driveway for almost an hour, with my foot on the brake and the gear shift on R, staring at a dent in the side of the mold streak trailer and trying to will myself to stay. Delilah crossed in front of my car and waved at me through the windshield. You coming? Her voice was muffled through the closed windows. I didn't respond. Earth to Bonnie. She slapped her palm on the hood of my car. The sound made me flinch. So I uncurled my aching fingers, put the gear shift in park, and killed the engine. It rattled and sputtered for a moment, then fell silent with a final hiss. I took a deep breath and opened the car door. Hey, I said, as I stepped out onto the driveway. Hey yourself, she replied with a smirk. Her eyes wandered down my body and then back up to my face. Long time. You good? We'll see. I looked up at the trailer, and the faded curtain in the window over the sink seemed to move just an inch, as if someone had been peeking out. I'm good too, she said sardonically. Thanks for asking. She walked up the three rotted wooden stairs to the trailer, opened the door, and stepped inside. Hi, Dad, I heard her say. Guess who's here? My stomach lurched at the thought of going into the trailer. It was dirtier and more mildewed than the night I ran away. But otherwise, nothing had changed. It had the same faded Confederate flag sticker in the window, the same tin Miller light sign hanging crooked on a rusty screw by the door, and the same pine tree loomed overhead, dumping dead pine needles and sticky sap all over the roof and steps. It was only then that I noticed the molehills. The ground was infested with them. I could have sworn that the yard had been smooth and flat when I pulled into the driveway, but it wasn't anymore. Mounds of wet earth pimpled the landscape in all directions. The mound closest to my car roiled with a mass of squirming earthworms, crumbs of wet earth sticking to their slime-slicked bodies. Delilah poked her head back outside the trailer. Psst! Bonnie! Let's go! Sorry. <sighs> Coming. I picked my way through the minefield of molehills until I reached the steps of the trailer. I followed Delilah into the dimly lit den, and the screen door swung shut behind me with a familiar smack. Look who it is, Dad! Delilah exclaimed. She moved aside so my father and I could see each other. I suppressed a gasp. The last time I saw my dad... He was a hulking beast of a man, with muscled forearms covered in fading greenish-black tattoos from his time in the army. 
He had broad shoulders and a straight spine, with a head of thick, wavy brown hair and a clean-cut reddish mustache that reminded me of the guy from the brawny paper towels package. The figure before me, however, was nothing like that. He was a mere shadow of the man I knew. He was wearing the same kind of flannel shirt he favored when I was a kid. But now it hung on him like a scarecrow costume draped over a Halloween skeleton. His thinning gray hair stood up in crazy swirls, the color of dryer lint. A dusting of unkempt stubble dirtied his hollow cheeks, making him seem even more emaciated than he already was. His eyes were covered with milky cataracts that dulled his pale blue irises to a ghostly gray. He sat slumped in a sunken recliner scarred with rows of long cigarette burns on the arms. A hungry man microwave dinner, a tall can of Miller Lite, and a kaleidoscope of pills in a small paper cup were arranged on the rolling tray in front of him. He leaned forward and squinted his eyes. Who's that? He grumbled. I looked at Delilah. She raised her eyebrows at me and tilted her head toward my father, indicating that I should answer. It... it's me, Dad. Bonnie. I paused, waiting for him to answer or react in any way. He didn't. After an awkward moment, I cleared my throat and asked, <clears throat> Um, how are you feeling? Like dirt. He sat back and returned his attention to the TV. With one shaking hand, he picked up the plastic fork on his tray, stabbed a sliver of lukewarm turkey, and shoved it into his mouth. Gravy dripped down his chin and onto his shirt. Bonnie's going to be helping you set your pills from now on, Delilah said, her voice raised to be heard over the shouting from the TV. Once I'm gone... My father took a swig of beer from his can, straining it through his teeth before swallowing it. <clears throat> his eyes remained fixed on the screen. I gave Delilah a pleading look. Uh, I should go. You hush, she replied. He'll be fine once he comes around. She tucked my sleeve toward the tiny kitchen. Let me show you the pills. For the next 15 minutes, Delilah went through the medication plan in scrupulous detail. Each pill was carefully portioned into a plastic box, sectioned by days of the week and parts of the day. Morning, noon, evening, and night. A system designed to ensure that the right pills were taken at the right times. The box had to be refilled every Sunday with enough pills for the week. All I had to do was follow the paper that indicated which meds went into which section. As long as I did that, Delilah explained, everything would be fine. I tried to concentrate on what she was saying, but I couldn't seem to focus. There was a noise coming from under the trailer, a sort of crunching sound that reminded me of someone chewing a mouthful of unpopped popcorn kernels. I imagined dozens of moles digging through the ground just under my feet, erupting into the night air in miniature explosions of mud and grass. I imagined their flat gray bodies, their wide pink hands, 
their long yellow claws. They were coming for me, coming to pull me through their tunnels and into their lair, where they would climb over me, hundreds of them, squirming blindly across my face, over my belly, through my hair, into my mouth. Hey! Delilah snapped her fingers in front of my face. Are you even listening to me? I blinked the nightmarish vision out of my head. Yeah, yeah, I nodded. Follow the paper. Got it. You don't even need to talk to him. If you don't want to. Delilah said, reassuringly. You can just pop in, fill the pills, and pop out. Easy peasy. And he knows what to take when? Delilah nodded. He's pretty good about it. Sometimes he forgets, but it's not the end of the world. We just don't want him to take too much. Hence, the box. She tapped one of her ragged fingernails against the plastic lid. As long as everything in here is right, he'll be fine. Bonnie! My heart leapt into my throat at the sound of my father's voice shouting from the other room. Fear exploded in my chest. But then I remembered that I was a full-grown adult, and he was a shriveled old man. There's nothing to be afraid of, I told myself. He can't hurt you anymore. I poked my head out of the kitchen. Yes, Dad? Come over here. Did you need something? Just come. He held his hand out toward me, and I reluctantly crossed the stained carpet to his chair. He looked up at me, his eyes narrowing, then took my hand in his. How old are you? Forty-five. Forty-five. He repeated. His grip tightened the tip of his thumb prodding painfully at the fragile bones in the back of my hand. I made a small whimpering sound. Stop! I tried to pull my hand away, but his grip was shockingly strong for someone who looked so frail. His gaze returned to mine, his lips twisted into a smile, revealing teeth blackened with nicotine and decay. Welcome home. The screen door slammed behind me as I stormed out of the trailer and down the steps towards my car. Hot tears filled my eyes. Delilah followed me, rushing to catch up. Wait! No way. Forget it. I'm not fucking doing it. I stopped at my car and dug around in my purse, fumbling for my key fob while I continued ranting. I can't believe I let you talk me into coming back here. I flung my purse into the car, then climbed into the driver's seat. Delilah followed me, blocking the door from closing with her sizable frame. Move! I shouted. You can't go! The hell I can't. I'll run you over right here if you don't get out of my way. Then do it. Delilah glared down at me intensely. Fucking do it. I dare you. I closed my eyes, smacked the back of my skull against the headrest, and pounded my hands on top of the steering wheel. Fuck! I screamed, 
Fuck. 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 Oh, fucking hell. My heart thudded against my chest like a toddler kicking the back of an airplane seat during a tantrum. Delilah stared down at me with a smirk. You finished? I wiped the tears from my cheeks with my hands, then nodded. Delilah fished a set of keys from the purse dangling against her hip. Good. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take this... She worked a key off of her key ring and held it out to me. You're going to show up here next Sunday and every Sunday after that. And you're going to set us pills. Got it? I took the key and nodded. <sighs> Got it. I said quietly. And don't think I won't be checking in. Daddy might not be all there anymore. But he knows enough to tell me if you haven't been around. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I sniffed and nodded again. Can I go now? I whispered. Sure can, Delilah said with faux cheeriness. She slammed my door with a thud. Drive safe! The road back to my apartment from my father's trailer was a long, lonely one. The majority of the 90-minute trip was spent navigating a winding two-lane highway through the Pine Barrens. It had been 30 years since I had last traveled that route. 30 years since I ran from that trailer, hitched a ride from a farmer in an old Ford pickup, and never looked back. As I drove around the bend near where I had flagged down the Ford, a flash of color in the dark caused me to quickly shift my foot from the gas to the brake. A man in a reflective orange vest was standing in the middle of the road about a hundred yards away. He raised a handheld stop sign and motioned my car over to the side of the highway. A few feet behind the man, giant hills of crumbled asphalt were piled across both lanes of the blacktop. At first, 
I was grateful that the guy had stopped me. If I had hit one of those piles at the speed I was going, my car probably would have gone airborne like something from a Michael Bay movie, tumbling end over end until it exploded in a ball of flames. It wasn't until I had already steered onto the narrow shoulder and rolled to a stop that I began to realize how risky it was for me to pull over. I was a woman, driving by myself, down a deserted highway in the middle of the night, in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. I was completely and utterly alone. There were no workers, no construction vehicles, no traffic cones. Or lights, I realized. There are no goddamn lights. Nighttime construction was usually accompanied by a roaring generator powering giant floodlights that lit up the area like a football stadium. But in this case, the road was eerily quiet and completely dark. The only light, other than my headlights, came from a thin sliver of moon that was barely visible behind a thick bank of clouds. The man was working in near total darkness. The man's jaw churned as he chewed a thick wad of what I assumed to be tobacco. He spat a stream of dark saliva onto the ground, then lowered his stop sign and began trudging toward my car. He wore mud-streaked jeans and a filthy white t-shirt stretched taut over his protruding belly. The stubbled goatee around his mouth was pure black, an unnatural color that looked like he had dyed his facial hair with shoe polish. As the man drew closer, his features came in clearer focus. He had a round face with a flat, upturned nose that was almost pig-like in appearance. His eyes were black orbs, the pupils fully dilated in the darkness. What I first thought was a goatee was actually a thick smear of tar-black filth surrounding his mouth. It looked like he had gone bobbing for apples in a tub of used motor oil. I wondered if he knew how badly he had dirtied his face. He gave me what was intended to be a smile, but it was more like the expression of a terrified primate. Lips drawn back, teeth bared, gums exposed. I tried to suppress a gasp of horror at the sight. He had two overlong front teeth with an equally overlong pair of teeth on the bottom, except for some large molars far in the back of his mouth. The rest of his teeth seemed to be missing. Watery black saliva slipped his gums. A drop spilled over his lip and dribbled down his chin, and he made no effort to wipe it away. A heavy lump of fear lodged in my throat as my unease escalated into actual concern. I had seen news reports about this. A man pretends to be a construction worker to get a woman to pull over. Then he and his accomplices break into the car to beat her and rob her. Or worse. Just to be safe, I locked the doors. Then I checked my mirrors to see if anyone was sneaking up from behind or beside the car. There was no one around. 
That didn't make me feel any better, though. Being alone with the guy on a dark road was somehow worse. The man stopped next to my car and rapped on my window with one knuckle. A quick, polite double tap. I lowered the glass an inch, just enough to hear him speak. Sorry, ma'am, he said. Road's closed for tonight. Something in his mouth crunched like he was chewing on ice cubes. He swallowed, then pursed his lips and spat another stream of dark liquid onto the road beside my car. Closed? Like, completely closed? It didn't make sense. I had traveled the road in the opposite direction just a few hours before, with no problem. Even if the construction had started after I passed, why had I been allowed back onto the road in the opposite direction? There should have at least been some signs warning of construction ahead. Had I missed them? Had I dozed off just long enough to pass them by without noticing? Completely closed. The man acknowledged. I'm afraid you'll have to go back the way you came. I can't do that. I have to get home. <sighs> okay. How long until it's fixed? We've got a lot of work to do. It could be a while. Who's we? I bent forward over the steering wheel, peering through the windshield into the darkness. Seems like it's just you. The man looked at me with a steady gaze. Ma'am, it would be best if you went home. I'm trying, I said, irritation creeping into my voice. My home's that way. I pointed down the road ahead of my car. Not that home. Home home. A tense knot formed in my stomach as I narrowed my eyes and peered at the man's face. It looked vaguely familiar, but I wasn't sure why. Do I know you? I don't believe so. Then... Then how do you know where my home is? The man let out an exasperated sigh. He spat again. <sighs> Look he said, his patience waning. Go check your daddy's pills, okay? Make sure you've done them right. My mouth suddenly felt bone dry, and I swallowed hard. My fingers gripping the steering wheel so tightly that I felt like it might bend in my hands. You know my father? I rasped. No, ma'am. And I don't think I want to. I stared at the man for a second, my brow knotted in confusion. He leaned closer to the window until his face was only inches from the glass. My muscles tensed. I shot a glance at the passenger side seat, looking for my purse. I had a can of pepper spray stashed in the front pocket, but it was too far out of reach for me to get to it easily. I considered hitting the accelerator and blowing past the man, but the state of the road made such a maneuver impossible. The piles of asphalt spanned both lanes from shoulder to shoulder. Each was at least four to five feet tall, 
and the highway was bordered on both sides by guardrails, leaving me no room to steer around the piles. The road was, for all intents and purposes, impassable. The man spoke again. His voice was almost a whisper. He's not sorry. He breathed. The stench of hot tar streamed into my car. He'll never be sorry. The truth of his words hit me in the gut like a cannonball. I felt a sob swell in my chest. My eyes burned with the sting of hot tears. At that moment, it didn't matter to me who the man was, or how he knew what he knew. All that mattered was that he was right. No, I agreed. My voice was barely audible. Never. The man straightened up, his tone returning to normal. Go on back. Check his pills. Get him right this time. Then he turned and headed down the road toward the construction site, calling over his shoulder at me as he walked. The road will be clear once you do. I sat in stunned silence, watching as the man picked up a piece of asphalt the size of a dinner roll from one of the piles, shoved it into his mouth, and began to chew. Even from a distance, I could hear the sickening crunch and grind of his teeth pulverizing the asphalt into grit. Pebbles of broken blacktop clung to his lips. Long tendrils of black spit spilled from the corners of his mouth and dripped down his chin like crude oil. The man swallowed, then picked up another piece of the road. As he lifted it to his lips, he seemed to sense that I was still watching him. He turned and smiled that grotesque smile, then lifted his hand in a silent goodbye. His palm was unnaturally wide, with short pink fingers tipped with long, curving, yellowed claws, each as long as my index finger. They weren't the hands of a man. They were the hands of a mole. The sight of that horrific appendage finally spurred me into action. I swung the car in a wide U-turn, then stomped my foot on the gas. The tire spun on the pavement, spitting out a cloud of gravel and dust before catching hold of the road. As the car lurched forward, I risked one more look into the rearview mirror. The road behind me was illuminated in hellish shades of red by the taillights. But in the darkness, the man's pupils were as wide and black as the night itself. I stared vacantly at the road as I drove back up Route 322. My mind fully occupied with trying to comprehend what the fuck just happened. It was like a crazy hallucination. The kind of thing you experience in a dream and try to piece together into narrative after the fact. There was a construction worker, and he was eating the road. And then he told me about my father. And he had mole hands, and... I pushed the images out of my head and instead focused on where I was headed. Back to my father's trailer. I thought about the night I ran away. 
about the curl of my father's lip, the cruelty in his eyes, the smell of beer on his breath, about the bruises on my arms, my legs, my throat, about the smack of the screen door against the side of the trailer as I stumbled into the yard, bleeding from my broken mouth, about tripping over a huge molehill in my path, skinning my knees on the rough dirt before getting up and fleeing into the woods. I was only 15. Now, all I could think about were his pills. White pills, pink pills, yellow pills, green pills. I thought about how nervous I was while Delilah was explaining which pills were to be taken and when. I was nervous I would get it wrong, nervous about what would happen to my father if I had made a mistake. He was half-blind with cataracts. He couldn't even see the pills he was taking. He just popped them into his mouth and swallowed them without a second thought. If I messed up, he wouldn't know until it was too late. The yellow pills were the painkillers. Opioids. Delilah said to give him one in the morning and one at night. Any more than that, and he could get addicted. He could overdose. He could die. When I finally arrived back at the trailer, I let myself in with the key Delilah had given me. The smell of stale beer and fresh urine attacked my nostrils as I entered. I could hear my father's ripsaw snoring coming from his bedroom. The words of the construction worker echoed in my head as I closed the door quietly behind me. Go on back. Check his pills. Get him right this time. Using the dim glow of my smartphone screen to light my way, I crept into his kitchen and opened the cabinet where the pills were stored. I flipped open each of the little plastic lids on the pill case, one for each part of each day. The pills were portioned exactly as Delilah had instructed, including the opioids. One in the morning, one at night, just like the doctor prescribed. I looked up at the cabinet containing the assortment of pill bottles. The opioids were in the front, right where Delilah had left them. I twisted off the cap and poured a handful into my palm. Then I picked up the pill box, dumped the other pills into the trash, and replaced them with as many yellow pills as the box could hold. There were no construction signs on the drive back from my father's place to my apartment. I hadn't missed them. I hadn't dozed. They simply didn't exist. There was no construction. There were no piles of broken asphalt blocking the lanes. The road to home, my home, was open and clear, just like the man had promised. I drove at a relaxed pace through the forest. As I passed the stretch of highway where the construction worker had stopped me, my thoughts again turned to the night I ran away. I thought about the freezing December air biting into my tear-streaked face as I sprinted through the woods, muscles spasming and teeth chattering. I wanted to keep running, but the cold was too much. Eventually, I gave up sitting against the snow-covered trunk of a fallen tree 
I closed my eyes and drifted off into unconsciousness. Sometime later, I awoke in total darkness, certain that I had died. I was covered in dirt, buried in a layer of warm earth and a heavy blanket of leaves. I reached out my hands, feeling more dirt a foot or so above my head. A hail of loose earth dropped onto my face as I scraped my nails against the soil. I was in a grave, I thought. A shallow grave. But I wasn't dead. I was awake. I was alive. I rolled over onto my stomach and lifted my head. A dim shaft of light was streaming through the dirt in front of me. That's when I realized that I wasn't in a grave. I was in a tunnel. Belly crawling toward the light, I broke through a loose wall of earth and emerged onto an embankment beside Route 322. Once my eyes adjusted to the glare of the morning sun, I scrambled up the embankment to the shoulder of the highway and flagged down a passing truck for a ride. I climbed into the truck and closed my eyes, still wondering how I had ended up in the tunnel. I had no recollection of what happened after I passed out, but I was sure that the shelter, along with the heat-preserving cover of dirt and leaves, had saved me from freezing to death overnight. I was also sure that I hadn't crawled in there myself. The thought should have been scary, but it wasn't. I didn't feel afraid. I felt loved cared for protected as the truck pulled onto the road I glanced back at the tunnel one last time and my breath caught in my throat staring back at me from deep in the shadows was a pair of eyes eyes as wide and black as the night itself I hope you enjoyed Mole Hills, as written by Warren Benedetto and performed by Rissa Montanez and Nick Goroff. You can hear more from Rissa Montanez on the Creepy Podcast, which you can find at www.creepypod.com. Our second tale of the evening is written by Christopher Zaleski and is performed by Jeff Sturdivant. In it, we'll meet Craig Smith, otherwise known as... Hammer in Battle Golf, a man who was suddenly kicked from his group and now seeks revenge on those he used to love. With a short iron in hand, Craig goes to swing destruction all over his ex-teammates in this short thriller about taking the game a little too far. Now, without further ado, I present to you Battle Golf. Well, here he was, sitting comfortably behind the wheel of a brand spanking new car. The new car mommy and daddy had bought him in hopes it would inspire him to get out more. Maybe find a job, some friends, and maybe if he got lucky, a girlfriend. Craig Smith, otherwise known as Hammer in his favorite game, Battle Golf, shifted uneasily, removing the thought of female companionship 
and replaced it with what was happening now. Now he was going to take down the president. Not the president of the United States, but the president of his group on battle golf, the Ball Crushers. Well, it wasn't his group anymore since the piece of shit president had kicked him just the other day, and for no good reason he wanted everyone to know. Craig had been their golden boy, the best of the best. Hardly ever lost a match, always grinding out tons of wins and putting up massive group points. But seriously, how hard could it be for a 25-year-old college dropout who still lived in mommy and daddy's basement to do anything but master the stupid golf game and win everyone's love? It's not like he had anything else going on. No friends knocking down his door to drag him out to some lame-ass party that everyone was going to drink and get sick at. No girlfriend who was going to occupy all his alone time. Hell, even mommy and daddy didn't bother him most of the time. Just the occasional, get a job yet? Good old dad had given him a credit card with God only knew the limit on it to go out and buy a new wardrobe. Oh, some new clothes were bought but so was the -the state-of-the-art computer system. Nothing was held back. But why should there have been? In all this free time he had, computers had become the most important part of his life. Well, beside battle golf. Battle golf had been different. He met people. The type of people he would otherwise walk away from in the real world. In battle golf, you could go join a group and see what they were about. In some groups, the players were nasty, always dropping the F-bomb or talking about sex. Craig didn't go for that kind of chat. Other groups talked about what the group name was. If it said Yankees, that's all they seemed to chat about. If it had a name revolved around college football, well, you'd be sure that's what they were talking about. Boring, Craig muttered to himself as he swiped through some of the groups in the battle golf game. As he sat, searching and searching... Craig wasn't sure what had made him tap into the ball crushers those few months ago. They were very low in the points category. Not many players. From the outside looks of it, they were just a shitty team. Maybe it had been the president's name, Happy. His avatar's picture, just a smile emoji. So simple, so easy. Could it have been because Craig himself was not happy but sad with his own life? Was that what drew him in? Maybe, but one may never know. It started out slow, playing that is. He put up points in his free time, which was pretty much all day, but in between he was learning all about his new computer and what he could do with it. His skills in both areas of the game and his system grew rapidly. In one season, which is four weeks, he had rose up to second place, right behind good old President Happy. In the new season, Craig swore he would take first, passing their beloved leader. They had reached the qualifying level as a team to play for a chance at the Galaxy 100 Club. This was the top 100 teams around the world that would have a chance to play with all the other top 100 players. You also got 30 free balls that had the max power on all its specifications. They weren't too bad looking either. Here they were, neck and neck, coming up on the end of the next season. They were pushing each other to take first. One day Craig would be on top, and then when he would sign back in later in the day, 
Happy would be in first place. Grind, grind, and grind some more. Craig almost forgot about his computer. Almost, and the fact that Wally took breaks from playing, Craig was finding out all kinds of information about his teammates. It wasn't too hard, actually. They were all on social media. They all wanted to be friends with each other so they could send each other coins in the game. To Craig, it was a doorway into their lives. Sure, some of them didn't use that portion of the game and stayed out of the conversation altogether. That was all right to Craig. He was mostly interested and happy anyway. And this other player. A lady friend he believed he was getting close to, but who turned out to be a traitor. And it was all her fault. Poppy, you bitch. Craig said aloud through gritted teeth, feeling angst toward his former teammate once again. Poppy happened to be the only alleged female player on their team, and the group had adored her. Her and that stupid avatar picture she'd used. A cute perky blonde with her breasts pushed up in a low-cut top. It had always been a pleasure seeing her up on the screen, but Craig knew who she really was. He had found her. He had watched her. She was easy to find in the beginning, She had actually sent him a friend request when he was first becoming part of their team. He had trusted them enough after a few days to share his name, and that was when all the friend requests started showing up. Poppy was one of them. There was a long stretch of time, gazing in awe at the picture. His heart thudded in his chest, while sensations played a game in his groin. The picture had him so mesmerized he hardly noticed that he ran out of time on his game, and the shot clock buzzed, bringing him out of his daze. Craig swiped at the phone, closing the game, and turned back to the computer. Those big blue eyes staring back, breasts wanting to pop out of the screen. There wasn't going to be any turning back once he clicked into the page. But click, and there was nothing. Just the one picture... No posts, no shares of where she was, who she was with, what she was eating. Nothing. There was just a sigh of letdown, then back to playing this dreaded game, winning points, and falling more in love with this group. It wasn't until the bitch started her shit that he had gone back to her page, determined to figure out who she was and where she was from. He had a hunch where she lived, because of a few times Cincinnati was mentioned and how she loved the restaurants there. It was a good start. Perfect, actually, since Craig himself lived just outside of the city. So, Craig clicked on the cleavage of Poppy and had begun the search. Her friends list was huge. It was going to take hours, he thought, to find someone that lived in the city, too. These so-called friends most likely only played the same game she liked, and she probably only used this page to gain points from those stupid games. But then, the thought had occurred to him that maybe her real persona was friends with this fake one. Hell, Craig had done that when he first started playing battle golf, just to try and build up some points. All you needed was a stupid email address. The search started at the top. Click, click, click. All the while playing his finger golf, never quitting trying to be the best. Someone would eventually ask him to join their group. Eventually, he would make new friends. Click, click, click. 
but these old friends, they were going to wish they never accepted him in the group, and they'd regret the day they kicked him to the curb. Click, click, click. One of these friends was going to be her. The real her. Click. The name read Martha Anderson from Ohio. The pictures didn't match the big, blue-eyed, perky, blonde girl Poppy had used. No. These pictures he saw were of a darker-haired older woman of about 50. A lot older and much larger. But she had all the same likes that Poppy had mentioned during their chats within the group. The city, the foods, the restaurants. Everything he had memorized about her was there. This just had to be her. The only real problem was the distance. A couple hours away. No matter. He would find a room close by. Spend a weekend away from home, that's all. He had a credit card from Daddy. He would just go. No need to explain where he was going, what he was doing. Stretch the legs of his brand spanking new car. See the sights. See some death. Craig had checked into his room and then went straight to one of the restaurants that Martha checked into most of the time. It wasn't quite in the city, but on the outskirts of a small suburban town. An empty parking lot across the street was a perfect place to sit and watch. Stalk his prey. It was amazing how easy this was, stalking. Just sitting there, staring out into the distance, focusing only on one building, and the patrons walking in and out checking the picture of Martha every time someone he thought looked like her went inside. He played his game and watched the restaurant, day in and day out. All determination. To find this woman. To take his revenge. Oh, sweet revenge. Best served cold, they say. And that was what the bitch was going to get. Some frozen-ass revenge. A short iron across the skull, as a matter of fact. She deserved it after what she had caused. After fighting with him. After keeping him from the Galaxy 100. After having he, Craig, a.k.a. Hammer, the Battle Golf God, kicked from the group. Craig came free from his memories of the other night as a car drove by, shining its lights into his own car. His heart gained speed with hopes that this one carried his next target... But no, it wasn't happy. In the mirror, he could see the car move down the street and out of view. Damn, he muttered. Soon. Soon happy. Real soon. He thought of how lucky he was. It had only been the second day when he finally saw Martha entering that restaurant. How lucky it was that she had gotten takeout, because she had come right out only two minutes later carrying two bags of food. Two bags, Craig said to himself, wondering if maybe Martha lived with someone. Most likely, she did. So he followed her home, staying just far enough back, hoping not to be noticed. He instantly thought of one of those cop movies where they try to follow a suspect. Maybe find out where he was selling drugs, then rush in, busting the whole lot of them. But in this situation... Was Craig going to take his revenge out on more than just Martha? What if there were other people home? An instant rush of fear coursed its way through him. 
there was already some doubt that he was actually going to be able to carry out the murder of Martha Anderson. But just then, while following her, full doubt had come in, unknowing if there would be more than just her. This could take days to find out, maybe a week. What if he had to find the right day when no one else was home? Panic almost made him stop his car, not continue his journey down a path he would never be able to return from. But the memory of what happened on that dreaded night kept him going. The memory of what took place between him and that stupid bitch. All he had wanted to do was kick the bottom player who hadn't been producing points. They had basically sucked. Craig wanted to kick them and add a player named Thor who had sent a join request. The guy had great stats that promised to send them over the top. And what a name it was, too. Thor. Powerful. The name of gods. If the stats told what kind of player this was, this guy would be first in their group. And together, they could be Thor's hammer. Just thinking of it made him tingle up and down his spine. But the bitch ruined it by protecting the bottom guy, saying, He's been part of this group for months. He's been sick and hasn't been able to play. And we can't just kick him to add some person we don't know. And it's not happening until we talk with Happy. So no, it's not happening, Hammer. The nerve of her. How could she tell him no? After all that he had done for this group. All the points he'd put in. All the time and devotion he put in. This was his group, not hers. Not anyone's except his. She wasn't going to speak to him this way. Like he wasn't even a person. Wasn't even real. But was he real? Was he playing this game with her? Did she know that? Huh? Did she? Craig's knuckles turned white as he gripped the steering wheel, snapping out of his thoughts for a moment while a car drove past him. His memories lashed out at him brutally hurting his feelings all over again. He thought of what he had typed, remembering how he had almost not hit send, but did anyway. Listen, you stupid cunt. I'm adding Thor or I'm leaving. Of course, the C word was censored in the game conversation, but Craig knew that Poppy understood. No messages scrolled for a moment. A player named Big Hitter chimed in with, can we all take a break and calm down? Another said, Yeah, Craig, let's see what Happy says. But that would be all that Craig would see. An alert popped up on his screen that he had been kicked. Craig had swallowed hard, knowing full well that Happy had been on the whole time, watching the conversation but being silent. Only the president could kick a captain. So, with one shaky finger, he pressed the group icon, but it only brought him to the search for a group screen. Craig only stared in horror. How could that have been? He was their best player. He had been the battle golf god. No! He growled, biting his teeth down together in a rage. The phone in his hand found flight, smashing against the wall. He got up from the desk kicking the chair over. Still heated, he grabbed the mattress from the side, then flipped it as far as he could across his basement bedroom. There stood a symbol of rage, chest heaving, 
fists clenched at his sides, and his room trashed beyond recognition. But that wouldn't be the end of his destruction. A small evil grin creased his face as the thought of what he would do entered his mind. Oh no, that wouldn't be the end. A short chuckle came from somewhere deep inside Craig's gut. Oh, friends. Oh, dear neighbors. This guy right here was going to make them all pay. Revenge was coming on a silver platter. So Craig had followed her all the way to a dark house. He had pulled up across the street, one house down from Martha's. It was only just after nine at night, the clock in the car had read. A very good chance she lived alone, or that no one else had been home yet. Craig watched, nearly in awe of this massive woman getting out of her car, doggy bags in hand. The car rocked back and forth from the weight being removed. The shocks let out tiny squeaks. This woman was nowhere near what her player picture was. Who had she been trying to fool? Why lie about who you were, especially when you were supposedly friends with these people? Craig had a normal picture of himself for his icon. It was honest. He even had all his regular life activities showing on his social media pages. Why hide what you really are? He just had to wonder. Craig grabbed for his short iron, figuring this would be it. In his heart, he knew no one was home. The bitch would die now. No turning back, he thought to himself. Craig moved swiftly like a fox going for its prey. While she fumbled for her keys, it was very easy for Craig to get right behind her. The woman's mind must have been in another world for him to be so close without being noticed. Martha pushed the door open. Craig stepped in, keeping his exact pace with every one of her steps. The club was raised above his head, ready to strike down with all his might. When Martha turned, terror flooded her eyes. Fear took away any breath she had to scream, because all that came out of her opened mouth was a squeak. Craig, without any air himself, went to silently swing his club down into the woman's face, but stopped. One of her hands grabbed at her chest. Food bags crashed to the floor as a blank look crawled on her face. Still no air seemed to enter in or out of her body. She first slumped to her knees, then quickly fell to her face, vibrating the floor at Craig's feet. Oh, shit. It was only a whisper that seemed to leak out of him instead of actually being spoken. It had only been a second, but seemed to be an eternity while he stood, mouth agape, before turning and then bolting from the house and back to his car, heart thudding so hard he thought that maybe he was about to have a heart attack himself. With eyes wide open, he fell into his car hard, slammed the keys into the ignition, and then in one motion started the car, pulled the gear shift down, and had the car doing 60 before he was even a vision in anyone's eyes. Craig smiled with the thoughts of just a few nights ago while he waited for Happy. The Lord knew that heart attack was eventually going to happen in such an out-of-shape woman. She was out of breath while she walked to the door, for Christ's sake. Craig had only helped it along. (laughs) 
A crazy laugh was what it was. Crazy with the thought of revenge. Oh, sweet revenge. And he'd served it up cold, without even touching her. Now it was this asshole's turn to die. This man, this happy guy as the group called him. But his actual name was Doug Johnston. Craig knew this because he had also become friends with him on social media. But Doug thought he could just unfriend Craig after he kicked him from the group, and that would be it. No, Doug, you idiot. You have to change your post settings, you fool. So not just anyone can see what you share, only your friends. Craig said aloud, looking down at his phone of a picture of Doug and a post from last night that he was going to be at a certain bar having a few drinks with a few close friends. Craig had gone there and had a drink too. Watched Doug from across the room for a few minutes, finished his drink, and then had gone back outside to wait. Doug left about two hours later, unaware of Craig, following him all the way back home. This time, however, the lights outside the house were on, and Craig could see a silhouette of a person inside. Craig drove on, but knew where Doug had lived now. Now Craig just sat, playing his golf game, deciding not to join any new group yet. Flying solo for a while, as his heart and mind wasn't ready for it, feeling that there had to be some time for recovery. Maybe he could try just one to see how it felt, but as for now, there wasn't any rush. Car lights crossed his face, taking Craig out of his game and into reality. The car was familiar to him. It pulled up to the darkened home that had been lit up all last night. Craig had been here for hours, and no one had left or come home since Doug had gone off to work this morning. Craig's heart was already pounding with excitement, jumping with joy at the prospect of Mr. President getting his. The car parked, idled for a moment, and then its door opened. A rather large man got out, not large like Martha, but large like a man who went to the gym, and he was tall, well over six feet. Craig had to wonder how to swing at him, since he himself was only five foot six inches. Coming straight down might not be a good choice. Maybe an uppercut motion would be best. Either way, a few shots to the skull with a short iron should slow this guy down. Craig quietly got out of the car, thinking himself some sort of ninja, The car door stayed ajar. No interior lights came on. No annoying car bells either. Sheer silence. Again, he was the fox, moving quickly and smoothly across the street, never losing sight of the soon-to-be-dead president. God only knew what this guy was doing, too, because he'd first fumbled with keys and then stood staring at a box on the wall by the garage before punching the green-lighted keys The door didn't open, and Craig could now see Doug entering the numbers again, but this time the door made its noise and began to lift. Craig's feet now glided on the driveway. No breath was present in his lungs, club held low and ready to swing upwards like he was swinging for the fences, hoping the first blow would be on target. Finally, a deep inhale gave Craig the air he needed. Happy... The word came out as if he was saying, Yoo-hoo, happy, here I am. The man froze at first, 
Nothing moved or made a sound except for a breeze that pressed against Craig's face, which in turn also didn't move. The club in his white-knuckled hand was ready. His mind was set on what he was about to do. Anger creased his face. But Doug now moved, slowly turning towards Craig. Craig, master finger golf player, god of the ball crushers, stood frozen. His eyes locked on Doug's whole face. A face that held all the answers for the moment. A grin that was giving away his secret. Somehow he had known. Craig missed the gun in Doug's hands while he looked deep into the eyes that told him, I knew you would come, you son of a bitch. But I was ready for you. Craig howled a war cry one that was heard by surrounding homes, streets, and all the friends and neighborhoods about. It echoed for miles, but for nothing. The gun suddenly fired. Once, twice, three times into Craig's chest. His body jerked back with each shot. The legs under him staggered, trying to stay up as the club in his hand clanked to the ground. Craig fought to take a breath, looking with wonder. He asked, How? That's when he fell to his knees, the blood gushing through his shirt. He could feel it coursing over his stomach and into his pants, his mind playing it over and over again. This wasn't the ending he had in mind. He was the best. He was the champion. How could this man beat him like this? It was like Doug read his mind when he answered Craig's thought. I know you killed my ex-wife, Craig, he said with conviction, stepping around Craig, circling him, gun always aimed for his head. My daughter Poppy was actually over there and saw you with the golf club raised above your head. You gave poor Martha a heart attack. Craig fell to his side and then rolled to his back, looking up into the dark sky and the twinkling stars. Doug stepped into his peaceful view, shaking his head as if to say, No peace for you. And then the most amazing thing happened while lying there as he felt all the blood in his body pouring out from his chest. Poppy, the wide-eyed blonde, had stepped into view next to Doug. She looked so young, so innocent. Is he dying, Daddy? Her voice was that of a child, Things began to get blurry as Doug raised the gun into what was left of Craig's view. The air was thick, hard to breathe. A short cough of blood burst from his mouth. It was just a game, Craig. You took things a little too far, calling my little girl a cunt. She's only fourteen, you sick piece of shit. Things went dark then, but sound remained. Blood pooled around one of the greatest finger golf players known to the ball crushers. It wasn't the loss of so much blood that finally ripped the last breath from Craig's lungs. It was the words that came from Doug, stabbing out into the darkness like a final blow from a knife. Oh, wanted to let you know, that guy Thor, the one you had loved so much, he worked out great. We added him after kicking you out. We made the Galaxy 100. 
Thanks. You made everyone happy. I hope you enjoyed Battle Golf as written by Christopher Zaleski and performed by Jeff Sturdivant. Christopher Zaleski is an independent author of two novels, Dead Case and The Hollow, plus one short story, Joseph Cross, all available for download. Residing in Pennsylvania with his beautiful wife and five daughters, Chris is heavily influenced by Stephen King, Cormac McCarthy, and John Saul. His next novel will be the first of a three-book series on his own apocalyptic journey. Jeff Sturdivant won the 2018 ABR Listener's Choice Award for Best Humor Entry for his audiobook production of Occupational Hazards, The Blue Collar Omnibus. He writes about the absurd, the macabre, and general strangeness of the human experience. When he isn't writing... He drives a brown truck and delivers packages. When he isn't doing that, he's usually getting into trouble. If you see him, avoid him. But buy his books, because they're good. Now to the shows. Longtime resident and powerhouse Otis Jerry. Hey, that's me. And I have my very own show here on the network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Fear from the Heartland, featuring horror stories brought to you from the Heartland, airing on Wednesdays. Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you can check him out. And Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Now... Our weekly descent into the depths is just about to come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. Plus, consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host for this evening, Otis Jiry, and as always, it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.